This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. I just drink wine. Darlings, dear hearts, non-heart-containing individuals such as, I don't know, bivalves, do they have hearts? Demons? Whoever you are, welcome to another goth edition of The Wine Situation. Season 5, episode 12, the 113th episode, I, Ellen Clifford, have recorded. What is this podcast that is today is going to just happen to be goth because I'm feeling it? Um, well, the situation is the world is still under lockdown, which bites, uh, but you know what you don't have to do? You don't have to be totally alone when you drink. I mean, hopefully you are, unless, well, if you live with someone, that's fine. Um, but you know, I, I can be here to keep you company. I can hopefully educate you about wine. I can hopefully make you laugh. I can maybe give you some deep thoughts. I can just go, well, if there's one thing this podcast is about besides me being your drinking buddy, it's about segments and tangents. Now the segments, they may be about wine. They may be about uh, food, goth things, life, love, probably cats. But these segments will always have tangents. Not, well, maybe not always. Sometimes the tangents come without the segments, which is unfortunate, but it happens. Eh. Sorry about that in, in advance. Um, that's what this podcast is about, is that I'm here to be your drinking friend and, t- and tell you about all these things. Who am I? I'm L. Clifford. Some people know me as Ellen. Some people know me as L. It's spell it, I spell it E-L-L-E, which some people think is Ellie, but no, it's L. Say it like the letter L. Uh, I write for Venice and Delectable. I ghostwrite for some other companies about wine. I have a certified sommelier from the Quartermaster Sommeliers. I am hopefully soon will have my diploma from the Wine Spirit Educational Trust, uh, which is not to say I'm better than anybody who doesn't have those degrees. I know plenty of people who don't, who've worked in wine forever, know more than me. But I haven't worked in wine as long, so I try and make up for it with my studies. You got me? I hope so. (sighs) Not even three minutes in, and I feel ready to go on. In full disclosure, I recorded 11 minutes of this, and sometimes I don't understand it. Sometimes I press pause for a second to, like, take a sip of water so you don't have to listen to it. And I, I, I... go to record again and somehow it's got I don't know what's up with it so if I'm rushing through this beginning part I again apologize in advance I am but human and sometimes impatient how are you feeling now yesterday it's well now it's 10:41 on Thursday night yesterday on the 20th we had inauguration day and it was glorious all those purple clothes on the women I love them we have a woman in office I love it so I'm feeling better <laughs> I seriously woke up around like 8 30 something and was watching the, the the proceedings in bed as I want to do because I tend to stay up till three writing and wake up at like way too late <laughs> but I woke up early and watched them and I literally felt like someone had taken a clamp off my chest Ugh. How glad am I that our country has a new um, person in charge? (laughs) 
And so anyway, all this is to say is I want to know how you're feeling. I'm feeling a little better. I would love to know how you're feeling. Not just about politics. I, tell me what you're drinking. Uh, if, if you got my number, text me, call me, leave me a message, say hi, whatever. Uh, send me memes if you want, just not GIFs. I don't like GIFs. Memes are cool, though. <laughs> I'm very picky, as a goth should be. Hmm. Uh, I am also on Instagram as at Ellen Clifford or at The Wine Situation. I don't care if I don't know you. Send me a picture of what you're drinking or just leave me a message being like, hey, I'm drinking this. I don't care if it's yellowtail. Okay, I may... Sh no, no, no. No shaming Ellen. No shaming anyone, Ellen. I say to myself, if you want a yellowtail, you, you drink your yellowtail. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, actually, I am really curious if anyone who listens to this drinks yellowtail. I'm, I, yeah, I'm actually really curious. That, that would be interesting to know. Maybe I should do a poll someday. Do you drink yellowtail? Um, that's enough of that. I, God, I want to pause to take a sip of water, but now I'm scared that if I pause it, it's, that bad things will happen. Hold on. Okay, I'm hydrated. Let's have an agenda for the day, shall we? Yes. So, as I said, it's a goth episode, which means we're going to start out with a goth grape, which will lead neatly into a goth wine. Then we're going to have a on the food side, which is meant to be a sort of a pun on, on or a wordplay on, on the flip side, but like the food side. Every time I say we have this segment, I feel like I have to explain it. Will I ever change it for that? Nah, you can learn. I feel competent, com competent, confident. I feel competent in my naming abilities and confident that my listeners are smart enough to figure it out. So I'm not sure if the food side is so goth, although I can kind of think why it might be. Um, <laughs> but I'll explain that all when you find out what on the food side's about this week, which means you have to keep listening. You must. Not in all one sitting if you don't want to. You listen on double speed if you want, although I talk kind of fast sometimes, so you might not want to. Anyway, please stick around to the end. I'd love it. Um, uh, and after that, I'll send you on your happy, merry way so that I can sit down and rewatch more of Bridgerton because I got permission to write an article about what it's like to drink in Regency England. So now, technically, I get to watch Bridgerton for research. Life isn't always this grand, but sometimes it is. Hmm. Yeah, if you're messaging me, tell me what's making your life grand. Tell me what's bringing you joy, because I don't have a drunk dial final five this week to tell. Well, maybe I'll tell you more things. <laughs> well, I already told you what's bringing me joy. That's just one of the things. Inaugurations, Bridgerton, goth things. Speaking of, let's move on to our first true segment, which is your goth crepe. Pinot Noir. For obvious reasons, because noir is in the title, and noir means black, the color black, which is what we wear. It is what we sometimes dye our hair, although I go for crimson. Um, we put black liner upon our lids, black lipstick upon our lips, although I believe in the thumbnail I took for you, I was wearing, like, the bloodiest shade of red I could. If you haven't noticed, red is, like, the runner-up for black in terms of colors that represent gothdom, although I still say that pink is the highest form of goth, but okay, that's another subject. Uh, Pinot Noir, it's actually, so the funny thing is, 
all the Pinots, Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Meunier, they are all mutations of the original Pinot, which was like known as a founder grape, which kind of makes me think of how in vampire movies there's often like the founder vampire that if they kill that vampire they all die. Um, so that's one reason why it's goth is there's a founder. <laughs> um, within the Pinot Noir DNA, uh, like, so the thing is there's like a certain number, there's a gajillion like DNA marker. I'm probably explaining this wrong, but there's like a million, there's a million bajillion DNA markers, but like it only requires a certain amount for them to deem it technically the same grape. So, um, for all the things the, within the, 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 the things that make it a Pinot Noir, there are a lot of, there's a lot of variations which are known as clones. Um, so I think, I think it was Grenache that I was sort of saying there's many different types of goth, just as there's many different ways you can find Grenache expressing itself. So I was kind of thinking, oh, Pinot Noir, there's many different clones, just as same thing. There's a lot of different ways to express yourself as goth. Uh, I, I've been many, not many different types. I veer towards Victorian goth with a little bit of, I don't know, Lolita goth maybe thrown in uh, and a little bit of like, I'm just me goth. So, I mean, there's Victorian goth, goth yeah, Victorian goth, fainting goth. <laughs> um, fainting goth is a variation on Victorian goth that I just made up. Um, cyber goth, new wave goth, industrial goth, death metal goth, Lolita goth, hello kitty goth, and many, many more. So yet another reason why Pinot Noir is a goth grape. It is thin skinned. Need I say more? Nah, I'll lead you to draw your own conclusions. We goths can be just a little persnickety. Um, the grapes tend to form tight clusters, which guys, when you find like a fellow goth, like it's kind of like immediately you're tight with that person. Like they, they get me, they, they understand this. They too uh, feel the need to wear all black and just, you know, be like this. <laughs> I had some goth friends um, in high school, and one night we were all, we were going to get up at four in the morning to walk to Vintage Vinyl, or was it Streetside Records? I think it was Streetside Records that sold, the, they, they were, we wanted to get Nine Inch Nails tickets, and it was in the day and age when you had to go line up for a ticket. So we were having a sleepover at my house, and um, rather than like try to find sleeping bags or something, we all, I had a double bed, the four of us, you know how in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the grandparents all share a bed and like two are on one end and two are on the other. That's how me and my friends shared my bed that night because we were just such cozy goths. Goths like Pinot Noir form tight clusters. They like calcareous soils, which tend to be uh, sometimes veer towards chalk, as they do in Champagne, which is another place besides Burgundy that goth, that goth grows, that Pinot Noir grows. And you know what that is? Pale. Much like Pinot Noir tends to be a paler, more garnety shade of, like it tends to be a little translucent, much as the ivory white skin of pale, goth, pale white goths, not every, not every not every goth is, is white. I'm speaking about us as though we're all super pale, and we're not. Um, but I, as a goth, am like one of the palest white girls you could ever hope to see. Seriously, I think I mess up. Photographers will be like, well, I can't get it to color balance because of that girl. She's reflecting all the light. 
or am I, I, wait, is it that I'm reflecting it all or that I'm absorbing it all? I forget my white, my white light and black light and colored light technology. I think it's that it actually, I've absorbed all the color. Wow, I'm like the black hole of color in my pale, pale skin. Does this, is that making any sense? I don't know. It's, I'm getting, that was a tangent. Um, typical flavor markers tend to be like cherry flavors, baking spice, particularly if it's, um, been in new oak, which Pinot Noir does well with new oak, which I just, you know, that's what us gods do is we lean up against oaky trees and contemplate our life, much as these wines sometimes age in oak barrels and I don't know some winemakers even play classical music for them which you know curling up in a barrel and listening to classical music just sounds like kind of a goth thing to do I don't know uh problems Pinot Noir can run into if it's in too much sun and heat is that it'll taste like jammy and overbaked which goths likewise will taste jammy and overbaked if we're in heat well I was gonna mostly I was gonna say we don't take well to too much heat either partly because like you know, goth clothing, uh, this is why I'm like a partially retired goth is I just couldn't hack like the multiple layers and the, uh, it's a lot of clothing, you know, the heavy petticoats, like the, the goths that wear the, the leather, the chokers, the, it's rather the heavy boots. It's just, it's very warm and tiring wearing goth attire sometimes, particularly if you sometimes rock a corset, which I never really did because I like my lungs to be free. I don't know. Um, yeah, so we don't do well in sun and heat uh, either. Uh, I feel like that's enough to get you started on Pinot Noir and why it is a goth grape. Let's get, this wine has now been staring at me for like 20 something minutes now because I fucked up the first 11 that you'll never hear and neither will I. Um, let's get into our goth wine. I got this at my favorite place to purchase wine these days, which is Eve Bottle Shop, Nathaniel Munoz. You, you heard him on the pod before. He was a Final Five guest. Um, he has great taste in wine. I've now bought a couple of these wines from uh, this wine I'm about to tell you about from him because it's so good. Now, I first was intrigued by it because of the name, Bloodroot. And I was like, Bloodroot, Pinot Noir from Coastal California. That sounds so goth and the label looks goth above you can you have to look closely but it's like it's like a, a little skull with I guess is it flames or is it I think it's like vines growing out its eye sockets and little flower com- coming out the top of its head it's such a goth bottle such a goth name and then it didn't say it's on their website, but he was saying, I think originally, originally, before they were Reeve sellers, um, Noah and Kelly Durant's, so it's not exquisitely, ex- exquisitely, ex- expressly, uh, exclusively, that's the word I need, um, a woman made wine, but there's a woman involved. Um, originally, I think they were behind Banshee wines, which I still enjoy Banshee, uh, but I guess Banshee got kind of big to take care of. And Banshee also, pretty goth bottle, pretty goth name. Um, let me just read you what the website says about Bloodroot. Like, really, I don't know if these owners are goth, but I do know that their their bottles have goth tendencies and the names. Okay. The spirit of Bloodroot is simple. Make wines that reflect the soul of the place and make them at a quality and price level that makes them absolute no-brainers to drink. 
Spearheaded by Noah and Kelly Durance of Reeve Wines, Bloodroot is a collaboration between esteemed winemakers with great vineyard sourcing who have come together to make masterful, value-minded wines. Truly, you guys, this wine's like $21. It's, it's really good value for exquisite Pinot Noir. Um, the wines sourced from multiple benchmark vineyards throughout California's most respected wine-growing regions reflect the soul of each place, creating wines that are timeless expressions of California's dynamic terroir. I don't know why I just let myself vocal fry that hard there, but I apologize for it. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, then on the site, it said that this is a Pinot Noir that effortlessly melds cool coastal Pinot elegance with the velvety polish of culty high-end Pinot producers. Um, yeah, geez. Uh, the bottle tells me that 46% comes from the Russian River Valley, 28% from Sonoma Coast, 12% from Marin County, 10% from Anderson Valley. So, oh, it's not just Sonoma. Anderson is actually in uh, Mendocino. And 4% from Bennett Valley. Made from a secret collaboration of acclaimed winemakers. Oh, it's so recherche. Recherche? How do you say it? Um, so then I was looking for the text sheet on this. It said, the first release from Bloodroot offers all that and then some, utilizing different fruit sources, mostly throughout Sonoma County, but also neighboring counties of Marin and Mendocino. Mendocino? Mendocino? Uh, the Bloodroot winemakers created a Pinot Noir blend that effortlessly melts cool coastal Pinot elegance with the... Vel oh, well, I, they said that already. Um... Sorry, sometimes I gather my information on these wines from different places and sometimes it overlaps. The 2018 Pinot Noir comes from a relatively cool vintage. Twelve different vineyard sites were used to create the Sonoma County Pinot Noir. Harvest dates ranged from as early as September 3rd. Do you guys remember what you're doing on September 3rd of 2018? I do not. Um, all the way until October 10th, which is very late for Pinot. As I said, or did I mention Pinot tends to ripen early? Um, the wine was fermented in small open top vessels with hand punch downs daily. It says it spent 16 months in French oak, 20% of which was new. And it got a score of 93 from one enthusiast. I, this wine is great. And I know I kind of want to, I'm like, could I pitch Delectable an article where I like, find the secret winemakers like who's making this pinot noir who is secretly making it i mean is it um i talked to michael brown of costa brown the other day mr mr pinot noir himself um did he help make it maybe and did who knows it would be fascinating or maybe it really is just the original owners and they just like are kind of like being like Batman, being like, oh, mysterious, uh, culty winemaker is making this, and secretly it's them. They are the mysterious ones. That would be a gothy thing to do. Okay, I I have waited long enough looking at this beautiful, beautiful glass of wine. Let us, I'm going to cheers you and take a sip, and then we're going to play the game that's not a game, where I walk you through a wine tasting like a proper wine person does. Cheers to gothy things. And goth wines. Oh, it smells so good. Mm. Oh, oh yeah, that tastes that tastes so good. Um, yeah. So, um, to look at it, it is rather translucent. Um, going into a garnety phase already. 
just like that really great like deep cherry that you can tell is going to go garnety because it maybe already has a hint of orange or two um the legs appear to be uh fairly uh, i put them at medium plus <laughs> um the nose is definitely medium plus it just leaps out at you all dried vines and um dried cherries and fresh cherries as well but mostly a little dried like i think a lot of this maybe was warmer um but like you do also get like a sense of herbal freshness from it ooh, and like a certain spiciness spiciness to it like almost like yeah like a cinnamon spice oh and something that i just can't quite put my finger on it but it makes me think of the sea it's not salinity though like what almost almost a, almost a hint of like licorice or some kind of pungent anise thing um it's really interesting it almost makes me think of gamay which is interesting because gamay often makes me think of pinot noir so <laughs> go figure i was blind tasted on a gamay the other day and i totally thought it was a pinot noir and with good reason they tend to taste similar and they also grow in similar places anyway um Let's taste this and go through it structure structure component by structure component. Mm. Ooh, oh. High high acid, or at least medium plus. Alcohol, I'm gonna put it. In the old days I would say medium plus. Um this one I guess I would be forced to say medium. What is the level? I think I saw it already, and I want to say it's in the 13 range, which would make sense, but let's double check. Um, I can't, in all good faith, pretend to blind taste the alcohol level because I know I saw it at some point, even though I don't remember it now. 13.8%. That would indeed, in WSET terms, put it... Um, they only let you say low, medium, or high these days, so that would put it in medium because I think it has to be... 13 like barely medium like i think it has to be at 13 9 and above maybe or 13 9 is the highest that's medium hmm tannins tannins are like medium mini medium minus at most they're well integrated um they just give a slight texture to this like um not like a fine corduroy more like i'm picturing like some something made of like straw if that makes sense like it feels smooth but there's like a slight texture to it that's that's pleasant it it grips a little bit um i just realized that something about this like reminds me a little of tomatoes like a little or in canned tomatoes to be specific in like the best possible way like something a little like a little blood and iron. Bloodroot, maybe that's why they named it Bloodroot. Shit, guys, I don't know. There is something slightly sanguine about it, and I like it. Mm. Body is medium or minus. It's live, it's lively. Flavor is medium plus. You get still more of those cherries. It's more fresh cherry, it's bright, vibrant. Kicking around cherry. A little less of that herbal thing that I got and a little bit more of like that iron and blood, um, which gives it a certain sharpness, but still pleasant. Like the cherries are just ripe enough and maybe someone sprinkled a dried cherry or two in there as well, but mostly they're just like super ripe, but fresh cherries. Um, you still get a little bit of that cinnamon, a little bit of allspice. Mm. 
Hmm. Oh, just a brightness of fruit. Um, maybe a little pomegranate. I would even say, having been uh, ha having been drinking pomegranate wine um, for the last week or so, I would throw in a hint of pomegranate in there. A little bit of like just a, like a hair of lavender. Um, I think. I'm drinking this, by the way, out of my Zalto Burgundy glass. That seemed like the proper one for this, um, being as Burgundy is where they grow a lot of Pinot Noir. Um, I feel like this is going to continue to evolve and open up as as time goes, which, I mean, it, it already had 20 minutes, but like, I think I told you last week, like Christmas, it was like an hour into this uh, Merlot from... Um, San Emilion Grand Cru that we were like, oh, this is really showing something. I, yeah, like I said, I've bought this wine. This might be the third time I've bought this wine now, just because A, it's like so value friendly. Um, but that's the main reason is because it's delicious. Well, okay, so I mean, I'm biased because it's goth, but it's also so delicious and so affordable. Mmm. I want this wine to be my best friend. And because goths form tight clusters, perhaps, perhaps it will. Oh, let us think about the finish. Ooh, you get this like velvet tobacco at the end. <laughs> at the very end, you get this kick, uh, just a hint of this like tobacco thing, like sweet tobacco, maybe like clove cigarette tobacco which makes it yet even more goth. Clove cigarette wine. Oh, if you can find some bloodroot, get it for yourselves. Give it a try. Uh, if you can find Reeve wine, the other winery from, 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 from these people, try that. I don't, I don't think I've ever had it, actually. Uh, they're no longer apparently beyond uh, behind Banshee, and I hope I'm remembering that detail correctly. If, you don't, if they have nothing... Eh, but if you see Banshee, feel free to try that too and tell me what you think. I usually enjoy it. Um... Metaphorically, if this wine were, sometimes they make metaphors in fabric, sometimes in outfits. Uh, for some reason, I picture a scarecrow um, when I think of this wine. Either that or like a pirate, perhaps because of like the skull on the cover. Uh, maybe not, may, no, not a pirate. More like someone in a, a gothic palace uh wearing dark robes but also they are wearing like gold jewelry like they have a brightness to them a darkness and a brightness much as goths see light in the dark so this wine so this wine which is bloodroot pinot noir 2018 coastal california Vented and bottled by Bloodroot Cellars, Sonoma, California. Yes, you guys. Ah, this wine makes me happy. I guess we should get on with things to our next segment, which I, I think this wine would actually pair well with. So this week on the on the flip flip food side on the food side, on the flip side. I was in honor of, so I think just last week we were bitching about Taco Bell taking away potato items and 
uh, only periodically giving us the french fries, which is a potato item, but like, God, those fiesta potatoes. We were mad about it, but guess what? Taco Bell heard us. Taco Bell heard our plea. They're bringing back french, or, well, french fries are, I think, at least temporarily back, and they're bringing back uh, potato products. So I wanted this on the food side to be the glory of potatoes in all its forms. And so I got started to like make my notes for this and I was like, okay, I would be hard pressed to pick a favorite potato product. But if you press me hard enough, I would say French fries. Um, so then I started like waxing poetic in my notes on French fries. And I realized that doing all the potatoes the glory of all potatoes is too much because I could spend a very long time just talking to you about french fries. So I, maybe next week I'll try and sort of like zip through the glory of other potatoes. But this week I want to focus on the glory of french fries. Is that goth? I mean, this goth likes french fries. I, I have this Pinot Noir with this high acid. I'm like, I'm tempted to Order up some french fries tonight. Whew, that sounds good. Or I could walk to Taco Bell. It's like a half a mile away. I, I shouldn't walk there at this time of night. I think we're under curfew technically still. I could order them though. Will I? I'm going to try not to. But anyway. Um, so french fries. Why would they be goth? Well, because, you know, they're a little salty. <laughs> okay. Yeah, would you guys like to hear more about potatoes next week? Uh, I, t I... Look, I have like um it's like tiny writing squeezed in it's probably like really like two two pages worth of um french fry glory to discuss with you starting with where because let's get real almost no one makes french fries and if they do hats off to you but damn your home unless you have a really good hood over your stove probably smells like fried food and that sucks like i do not like it when things smell too much of fried food <laughs> I am such a snob. Um, you know, in Los Angeles, Jonathan Gold, the late, great Jonathan Gold, said that his favorite fries were from Republic. And to be honest, I, ugh, Republic, you guys. I should probably get some takeout from there. Um, anything, Republic is hands down. If someone was like, you had to pick one fine dining place to eat at, I would either go Republic or like one of the Mozas probably um for both experience and yeah everything I love Republic it's in this here we go on a tangent it's in this building that was Charlie Chaps Chaplin's offices um it's it's a beautiful building it's if you've watched the Psalm movies they film a lot of scenes there yeah and it's right but it's attached to affiliated with um Librea Bakery which like the best bread comes from uh, actually, one of the most glorious things at Republic is just ordering their baguette with their their butt. Oh, oh, this is supposed to be about fries. It'd be about fries. Yes, they make great fries at Republic. I, you guys, I gotta be honest. McDonald's, McDonald's fries. I still love them so much. They're so good. I mean, I also though, if they're put head to head with the hash browns, I mean, McDonald's has a way with hash browns. Anyway, if someone was just like off. Um, pick a favorite fry now I'd be like McDonald's I don't know McDonald's um, I also love the Taco Bell fries which are like spicily seasoned and come with queso to dip them in which I don't normally I'll, I'll get into seasoning in, in a minute um, but I don't know but I like I like the Taco Bell fries quite a bit 
Um, Barbrix used to be a place. Well, the thing with Barbrix is their fries have like, they switch, I guess they switch the kitchen up enough. Like the first time I had fries, they were like heavily garlicky, like too garlicky, like too raw garlicky that I was tasting garlic all night. So they weren't to my tasting, but then like there's a sweet spot where they were like a medium cut. Oh yeah. The garlicky ones were like bordering on shoestring. Um, then there was like a sweet spot where they're like just the right between like thin cut and thick cut and just like so good. And then we had them another time and I think they were a little thinner and just a little blander and we're like, hey, did you guys change their fries? And he's like, yeah, they used to make them fresh and they've been using frozen recently. And then like we went back another time and they were back to being great. And now I haven't been to Barbrix. I don't even know if they're doing takeout right now, but I haven't been to Barbrix in like a year. So I don't know what the status of their fries is, but they have been fantastic in times past. And Barbrix, if you want a good wine bar, uh, their, their food, Barbrix is great. It's one of my, I mean, Covell's, Tabula Ross. Okay, I could go on a long time about favorite wine bars tangent, but Barbrix had really great fries. It's so hard. I'm like racking my brain for like favorite going out French fries because ugh. it's been nearly a year since I've gone out. <laughs> um, oh, I used to love the fries at Mess Hall. Mess Hall. They would come with this like flash fried part. Like I said, I'm very sensitive to seasonings on my fries. I'll get into that in a minute, but they would have this like flash fried parsley garnish and like a, a ketchup they would season just right. Um, but all in all, and I mean, I've had other, other fast food, um, fast food fries sometimes stand up, but like a lot of times just like, oh, curious what your thoughts on in and out fries. I only had them one time and it was like I had just gotten back from a long plane ride um, from visiting family for Christmas um, with the a former boyfriend and we got to his car in the park and like it wouldn't start and it was late at night and been a long day of travel and like I guess across the street or nearby was an in and out He went there to get a burger and he brought back fries. And I thought the fries were great, probably because I hadn't eaten all day and it was late at night and it was winter and cold. Uh, but then, like, I hear people being like, they don't... So normally with french fries, you want to, like, par-cook them so the insides can get done and then, like, cook them in hotter oil so they can get crisp on the outside. And then apparently they just fry them once. I don't know. All I know is the one time I had In-N-Out fries, I thought they were the best thing ever, but also that was a time in my life when I didn't eat many fries and also it was really cold and I was really hungry. So hard to say. Do you like them? Let me know. Okay, let's move on to my next fry topic. Shapes. Okay, least favorite shape. Hands down. I'll start there. Um, like a negative, negative goth that I am. Crinkle cut. Crinkle cut fries, seriously. And I know people love Shake Shack and they're like, these fries are so good, but they're like limp. They're like weak. They remind me of bad. They get mealy inside. They remind me of bad. I've never had a crinkle cut fry that like, that I said was like, desirable to have in the future. If there was a full order of fries there already, I'd probably be like, okay, I'll eat those. Um, but I... <sighs> crinkle cut can fuck off. Um, shoestring... Uh, it's 
fine, but it's like not for me. Like you have to kind of grab a handful of them. And like, I, I like being able to sometimes grab a couple fries and sometimes just munch on one fry. Yeah, shoestring, not for me. Overly thick steak cut, also not good because like the inside is bound to be undercooked and like, like crinkle, which maybe crinkles are too thick sometimes. Um, yeah, too steak cut, kind of like meh. I mean, I do, I like, like I love a McDonald's to me is not shoestring, but it's not to me a medium cut, but it's not thick cut. Um, it's like a just right cut. That being said, there's a lot of fries that are like somewhere between steak cut and McDonald's cut. <laughs> Let's just call it McDonald's cut. That are great. Like I feel like the mess hall ones towed the line between steak. Well, also steak cut. I feel like they usually like they're not a square. They're like a rectangle shape. So maybe that affects it. Um, Cause yeah, I like a medium cut. Um, what are the other? Oh, waffle fries. Let us consider waffle fries. I like a waffle fry. I know. I think some people feel like they're superior. I've never felt that way. Cause sometimes they. But here's the thing, if I am going to make fries at home, and they're not really fries, but okay, so there's this cookbook called Will It Waffle by Daniel Shumsky, uh, where he makes myriad foods and waffle irons, and he was like, can we waffle french fries? <laughs> um, so doing that per se didn't work, but then he found like if you mix instant um, mashed potato powder along with... Um, water and salt and melted butter and then you cook it in your waffle iron i it and i you guys this is my go-to if i don't want to order french fries and i really want a french fry i will always have powdered mashed potatoes on hand because you can make a delicious and delicious um pseudo waffle fry uh in your waffle iron from this recipe it really is dreamy um so yeah waffle cut i'm kind of like some people think they're the best. I, you know, I think they're good. I've never just had a really strong opinion about them. Now, let us think about Spiral. In theory, there's nothing wrong with it. In reality, sometimes, like, the parts of the fry that, like, are spir spiraling up against each other get a little too greasy. Also, I find that Here's the thing is I feel like a lot of spiral, like, I feel like usually if it's spiral cut, it's also heavily seasoned. And, like, the thing with seasoned fries is, like, two fries in, you're like, this is so good. But then you just, like, the rest of the day, you just feel, like, coated in seasoning and, like, you taste the seasoning and just, ah, Taco Bell's the only fry with, like, I've never had a seasoning I didn't like, but I only like it for like two fries. And if I'm going to buy a serving of fries, I'm going to eat all the fries. Um, maybe I'll bum a seasoned fries off someone's plate, but like, ugh, I don't know. Um, other than that, spiraled fries, I don't have a problem with them. I just find them kind of like unnecessary. Like, that's cute, but it's unnecessary. Yeah, that's how I feel about that. Very important things that we discuss here, which brings me to the next topic, seasoning. Like, what is it they even put on these seasoned fries? There's, I, I'm not sure, but whatever it is, like, sticks with you. I prefer, like, a little garnish. Like I said, mess hall would give you just, like, a little sprinkle here and there of, um, uh, of uh, flesh-fried parsley. Like, that's nice. It's kind of a refreshing counterpoint. 
I, of course, like, I'm a salt fiend, which I deserve to be because I have problems with maintaining sodium levels, so I feel no problem. Like, I will always have extra salt on hand. Once in a while, I'll get fries served to me that I'm like, this has enough salt, but usually I'm probably going to add just a tiny bit more or, like, dip them. Um, speaking of dipping, the last topic I think I have for this um, is dippers and toppers. Now, here's another thing. There's, like... There's like the fry only establishments that serve like fries topped with a million things. And my thing is, I, I mean, I did grow up in St. Louis, sometimes going to Steak and Shake and getting the cheese fries. And that was like good late night food. In general, I don't want to be served a dish where everything is all already on top of my fries. Like, except for like, well, Steak and Shake, I liked like the really, when you get the really like gooey, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like soggy with cheese end of it. Like that, that was kind of cool. But like I, and I've had like the vegetarian poutine before and I'm like, okay, this is fun, but still I would rather have, and some people are, I'm a, I'm a separatist. I, I guess I'm a food separatist. I like to have all the elements and I like to make up my arrangements as I want to do. Although occasionally a good nacho. I mean, there is something to be said for that, that one soggy cheese fry <laughs> or soggy nacho but I don't like my toppings or things like pre-put on top of the fry I like to dip I like to mix my dips um what dips do I like to mix okay a1 not the steak sauce <laughs> just like first thing um mayonnaise on fries yes please love mayo with fries that being said I also like there to be like a slightly acidic like um yeah, sharp, acidic counterpoint. I mean, I love nothing. Well, guys, here's the things. I love sauces. Uh, the one time I went to the melting pot, I couldn't really eat much. Well, uh, the problem with the main course was, like, most of it was meat. And I so my parents let me, like, uh, melt or... Uh, Right, or whatever whatever you do for the savory course there, the not cheese course, uh, cook the vegetables first. Um, but they were like, they brought out like 15, that's probably an, exagger like an exaggeration, but like so many, I love sauces. So like if I'm eating fries, my ideal is like ketchup on its own. I mean, it's there, I'll use it just like to refresh the palate, but like I don't really love ketchup on its own. But if I can have a plate and I can put like a dab of mayonnaise and a dab of uh, ketchup. And okay, I love sriracha on fries. I will eat that by itself. I mean, I'll eat any of these by themselves on fries. Is there a thing I won't eat by itself on fries? Like typical that people dip fries in. <sighs> Not that I can think of right now. I mean, ketchup is still probably, like, my least favorite. Um, I enjoy a barbecue. Uh, what else? What else? Okay, now, consulting my notes. Um, yeah, if it is a ketchup, like, there are places that, like, season or spice up their ketchup slightly. That's preferable. But, yeah, my probably, probably my favorite thing at home is to, like, I'll get a little dish and I'll put, like, a blob of mayonnaise a blob of sriracha, a blob of ketchup. Sometimes if I'm feeling jazzy, like some grain mustard, mustard on fries, also delicious. Um, yeah, I love nothing more than dips, so I could talk about dips almost as much as the fries that I'm dipping them in. Uh, ranch. 
and I know there's like there's the ranch fanatics and there used to be as a teenager there's this place um an old school diner in St. Louis that's now I think it's a Walgreens now sad um it was called the Parkmore and I feel bad for the waitresses there because we were teenagers and we would go there and order like the unlimited coffee and sit there forever and then occasionally order like a biscuit or a grilled cheese or fries but we would get the grilled cheese and fries and we would have to order a side of ranch for them and yeah I like I like ranch and fries I don't want that to be like my only dipper though these days I really enjoyed it those days but I wouldn't want it to be my only thing um oh I've heard people dip fries in milkshakes okay this I do not get because I feel like in so many foods I prefer actually cold to warm but french fries are the one thing that's like no that's got to be piping hot Maybe not piping hot. It just needs to be, like, not cold because the texture goes wonky. So I don't. I've tried it. I've tried dipping a fry in a shake. Milkshake's one of my favorite foods. Fry's one of my favorite foods. I do not. Can someone explain this to me? If you can. Like, here's the thing is I have a love of, um, like, Thanksgiving stuffing next to a side of homemade whipped cream. But, like, they're both soft foods. I don't understand. Ugh. Okay, all of this brings me to the grand finale of my fry musings. I've probably talked more about fries than wine at this point on this podcast, but fries are important. This is why I didn't try and cover all potato topics in one podcast. Oh, also, oh, best thing to pair with fries, wine-wise? Ah, uh, bandol rosé. Domaine tapier, bandol rosé, of course. Any rosé, really, but like... Domen Tempier Bandol Rosé with fries. All the way. Tavel. Tavel is probably one of my favorite rosés, uh, that region, Tavel, but like maybe not as well suited to fries as um, other types. But yeah, rosé and fries. French um, sparkling wine and fries also do really well. Um, mm. If you can't tell, I'm really enjoying this Pinot Noir. I'm like going to finish this glass and just like go and meditate on it. And then start watching Bridgerton writing. Life is hard. Okay. The most crazy topping, though, for fries. Don't get angry. Don't get upset. Use your logic. So, to preface all this, because <laughs> I also use this condiment on pizza crust, uh, I was at the Cheesecake Factory with my mother one evening, as we were wont to do when she visits me in L.A., because you know what? I fucking love the Cheesecake Factory. Um, she had ordered fries. Uh, they always leave, you know, bread and butter on the table. And they had cleared off everything on the table but the fries, which at that time, at that Cheesecake Factory, um, were like a fairly thick cut, like almost a steak cut. And so there were several random fries there, um, and there was some butter, and there was nothing else, uh, no, nothing else on the table. And for some reason, I was like, mm, butter on potatoes. People do that. So I spread some butter on a french fry, and it was glorious. Uh, I also now, if I'm eating pizza, the like top part of the crust, uh, I mean, I would eat it plain by itself because I, I get angry at people who leave uh, crust behind on pie or pizza. Butter on pizza crust. Do it. It's just bread. Anyway, butter on french fries. Just believe. 
not like a whole mess of fries and it needs to probably be like a thicker cut like a thicker cut and you know just spread a little butter on there you're just buttering your bread it's a starch a potatoes we we call it a vegetable but it's a starch as bread is um butter on french fries i'm not saying it's my favorite pairing um and it has to be the right fry at the right time but butter on french fries can I leave you with any wisdom better than that besides like go forth and embrace yourself whether you're goth whether you're not whether you're goth who wears pink me um but not all the time um yeah I don't know what else I have to say to you now like (laughs) I'm sorry I spent so much of your night talking about french fries you probably tuned out already if you're still listening rate review on iTunes I mean I'm half joking but also do it um and tell me what fries you like. I really want to know where everyone finds their favorite fries, whether it's fast food, whether it's upscale, whether you actually do make it yourself. I am 100% curious because french fries are one of my favorite foods um, and also one of my favorite mm, potato genres, although, (laughs) as I said, I could do a whole segment on the glory of potatoes in their many forms. You guys, um, feel the brightness in the dark. I feel like we are, as a nation, approaching a brightness out of the dark. Uh, So, yeah, this podcast was, like, spot on in terms of theme. Uh, Try Bloodroot. Visit Eve Bottle Shop for the wine if you live in L.A. Uh, If not, seek it out. Um, Or, you know, just drink some good Pinot Noir or some wine that just, you know, makes you feel good. With that, I say thank you for listening. I say cheers. Bong! And here's to next week. I'll see you then. Glass! I just drink wine. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with minute names. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with coffee mates. I just drink wine. Give me red, white, or say, Don't touch me, motherfucker. I'm a Somaliite. And a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.